With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to this brought to you by bonus episode. I'm Charlie Herman. Hope you're all doing well. In just a few weeks, we'll be back with a full season of new stories. But until then, we wanted to share another installment in our podcast club. That's where we bring you stories from other shows we think you might enjoy. And this week, our choice comes from 20,000 Hertz, a podcast that tells the stories behind the world's most recognizable sounds. In this episode, it's all about a brand name you've probably heard but might not know much about, THX. It's that deep, swelling sound you often hear right before a movie starts. I love it. Just hearing it gets me pumped for a movie. Well, it turns out we might never have heard of that sound if it weren't for Star Wars. Here's Dallas Taylor, the host of 20,000 Hertz. Imagine yourself in a movie theater. You're settling into your seat, and it's one of those nice ones with a headrest, and it leans back. You've managed to balance your popcorn on the armrest. The lights dim. In the year 2017. Soon, the previews are over. And the lights fade out completely. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. The stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. This is the story of the THX Deep Note. If you've been to the movies any time since 1983, it's likely that you've encountered the announcement that your theater is THX certified. The visual is mainly a three-letter logo, but the sound is unforgettable. Still, before we dive into what's behind that sound, let's imagine what movies might sound like without THX. of bad theater sound might have been what you experienced as Darth Vader revealed that he was Luke Skywalker's father if it wasn't for George Lucas. For Empire Strikes Back, George Lucas also hired an audio engineer besides myself, Tom Holman, 
They were scouting theaters in San Francisco for the debut of Empire Strikes Back. And they went to a well-known theater, one of the old majestic theaters, to make sure the sound system was okay. That's Andy Moorer. In the early 80s, he was the head of the digital audio department in the Lucasfilm Computer Division. When they got there, they were a bit horrified. The sound systems of the day consisted of left, center, right, and surround. So there should be three speakers behind the big screen. Of the three speakers he found, one was disconnected. One had fallen over. And the other one was turned around backwards. They were completely horrified by that. So Tom Holman said, heck with this, look, let's invent something or let's come up with a system, a standard by which we can measure the theaters and we can assure that the sound sounds the same in the theater as it does in the mixing theater when the artists were mixing it. But this wasn't the first time George Lucas had used his influence to change the cinematic experience. Before the release of the original Star Wars, it was still common for a lot of movie theaters to have a basic mono sound system. So he knew something had to change. George Lucas liked to use his muscle, if you will, when bringing out a new film. That's how Dolby Stereo came to be. George Lucas insisted that if you wanted the 70mm first run of Star Wars, you had to put in Dolby Stereo in your theater. And that was exactly what happened. The first 160 or so theaters that played Star Wars did so on Dolby Stereo. By the time Return of the Jedi was in production, Star Wars was a cultural phenomenon, and George Lucas was a filmmaking rock star. Because of this rock star status, Lucas was able to use his weight and influence again, this time insisting that to be able to show his new film, theaters would have to go a step further and become THX certified. And that's where THX came from. Uh, the name was just made up, taken loosely from George Lucas' student film, THX 1138. sometimes called, at least in-house, it was called Tom Holman's Experiment. Tom Holman was the engineer in charge of research for this new endeavor. And to be clear, THX is not a system for encoding or decoding audio. It has nothing to do with how sound is recorded. It's all about how a movie is played back to an audience. It encompasses everything from the quality of the speakers to the quality of the acoustics to the quality of the picture, almost everything about the movie-going experience. George Lucas funded this research to guarantee that what you experience in your theater is exactly what the filmmakers intended. Cinema technology has changed dramatically over the past 35 years. That's Rob Coles from THX. Originally, some of the challenges with cinemas were they weren't properly insulated, so the acoustic ability of the room was poor at best. A lot of times, the acoustics of two theaters would actually compete with each other. So you'd be sitting in one cinema and you could hear what was going on in the other one next to you. And then there were a lot of other kind of design elements, like doors to the theater used to open and let in the light so that you'd be watching a movie and every time someone came in and out, it would be kind of washed out. Simple things like that. Also, you know, a lot of cinemas didn't have really properly installed HVAC systems. So you'd have this kind of ambient noise in the background you wouldn't really understand, but it was actually inhibiting you from having a really good cinematic experience. 
So Lucasfilm's new invention would be installed at a handful of theaters across the country. But this wasn't a solo effort on the part of George Lucas. He hired a team of engineers to work out all of the details. The story forms long before THX was a company. George Lucas decided to start a research institute. He really wanted to advance the state of the art in cinema and entertainment in general. George didn't want to do the production, the post-production in Hollywood anymore. So he built this building in San Rafael, California, and coincidentally, it housed the computer division as well. Today, this building is known as Skywalker Sound. At the time, Andy was working alongside legendary sound designers like Ben Burt. I asked them what they needed, and he gave me a laundry list of things he needed. I had put together an audio processing system that we called the ASP, Audio Signal Processor, that Ben had been using. He would come in in the mornings and he would use it up to noon. He used it on Indiana Jones. One of his requests initially, one was for extending sounds, like he had a sound of an arrow being shot. It goes, shoop. I mean, it's gone instantly. And he wanted something that persisted. He wanted the sound of an error that went on over 15, 20, 30 seconds. So he asked me if I could do that. And I said, yeah, I, I know a way of doing that. So I gave him two minutes. The audio signal processor that Andy had invented made completely new sounds possible. From extending the sound of an arrow to an airplane in free fall to spatialization that made sounds in theater progress from one side of the room to the other. These tools have shaped the way movies are produced to this day. That's part of why the THX Deep Note sound is so unique. No one else on the planet had technology like that in 1983. George wanted some kind of uh, video or some kind of logo that was played before the feature comes on that says this is a THX certified movie theater. My suspicion, I don't know that this is true, but my suspicion is that he spent all the money on the visuals and didn't have any money left for the audio. So he picked someone who was on salary on staff and said, uh, look, we need some sound for the animation. It's 35 seconds long, and I want something that comes out of nowhere and gets really, really big. And I said, well, I think I know how to do that. To create the soundtrack, Andy went to the audio signal processor. As soon as he mentioned it, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. That is, I wanted to start with something that would thoroughly bewilder everyone. They wouldn't even be sure that the sound was being played properly or whatever. That is, to start with chaos and then uh, evolve into the, the big chord, like a, like a great organ chord. I'd always been impressed by the huge pipe organs and the sounds they could produce. So that was sort of the, the idea I had in the back of my mind. The producer gave Andy the timing of the animation. So I got a, a roadmap of the intent of the animation. Of course, when it showed up, all the timing was wrong. Of course it was. So this was one of those cases. I'm sitting in the, the mixing theater and they play the animation. And I sit there with my stopwatch and notice that all the timing is wrong. So while I'm sitting there, I typed in the new times into the computer and ran off a new copy of the logo theme right then and there. And we synced it up, recorded it onto six track, and that was that. That sounds straightforward, but it had taken Andy four days of work leading up to this session. Two days to get the basic sounds imported and modified, and another two days to tune it exactly how he wanted it. 
And remember, Andy had literally invented the technology that made this possible in the first place. So how did he come up with this idea? What do you say, steal from the best? I remember uh, the end of A Day in the Life from the Beatles, right? With a big sweep and remember how much I like that. I remember Box Fugue with a great huge chord. After noodling around a little bit, it builds this huge chord that resolves into just this massive, massive chord. So I combined those two ideas. And then the, um, the cluster at the beginning, this is similar to stuff we did while I was at Stanford. We had done a lot of experimentation in music, and one of the things that we fiddled with were clusters because with the computer, we could get immensely thick textures that would have been very, very difficult to do any other way. I mean, you couldn't buy enough synthesizers to make a sound that big or that massive, but with a couple of hours of computer time, we could build sounds that had that kind of thickness or that kind of texture to it. That was the idea for the cluster, was just a dense cluster of instrumental tones that would rise and fall for which you wouldn't be able to track any one for any length of time. It would just sound like a mess, like chaos. I had the idea for synthetic sound. I didn't envision, you know, flutes and oboes playing in it. I envisioned a completely synthetic sound because I don't know how you would do what I wanted to do with regular instruments. I had some recordings of cello tones. I uh, pulled one out that sounded rich, and all 30 oscillators in the original are using exactly the same tone. It is a cello, but you would never know it because one of the distinguishing things of a cello is the sound it makes when the bow hits the string. And since I eliminated that, uh, it's a little hard to tell what's really going on there. And that was the idea, except that I wanted it to be rich and natural sounding. With the advent of computer technology in the 70s and 80s, sound designers were able to create sounds that just weren't possible a few decades earlier. Andy Moore's invention changed cinema sound forever. We'll discover how Andy dreamed up this technology after the break. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. In the early 80s, there was no standard way of making any kind of sound on a computer. In fact, you couldn't even buy a computer built for audio. 
If you needed one, you had to build it yourself. Yeah, well, see, the big problem in computers of that time is that they weren't designed to do audio. Most of the audio, like Apple IIe, were, you know, squeaks and pops and sort of Atari kinds of sounds. They weren't rich and they weren't lifelike and they weren't natural sounding. I knew that we could do all of this on the computer, except that computers were just horribly, horribly slow in doing basic arithmetic. And what we needed was a machine that doesn't do much else, but does basic arithmetic really, really fast. The machine I put together does arithmetic. It's called a DSP, a digital signal processor. There were a couple of other examples of this, special purpose devices that were built for the military. But for the most part, they were designed to process images. That is, they didn't have the full 24-bit sound that we like to hear in modern audio. So I designed it from the scratch, starting from the converters and working back through the processing chain to the point where I had a device it was capable of 20 million computations per second, just raw arithmetic, multiply and add, to do audio at that kind of speed. Even then, at 20 million per second, it was limited to 30 voices. That was as much as I could get out of the machine at that time. Building that computer took two years, and something like 200,000 lines of computer code. The audio signal processor was used on many films produced at Skywalker Sound. So even though it was groundbreaking, the technology was familiar to the mixers and sound designers there. So when the producer gave Andy the job of making the THX logo theme, it was almost a routine operation in their studio. He said, Andy, we have to record it on Friday. So I said, okay, let's do it. And I came in, punched the button. He wasn't even there. Gary Rydstrom was, however. Gary is an Oscar-winning sound designer. He was there that day, almost coincidentally. I don't think anyone had told him to go in and QA it or listen to it or tell me if they had to hire somebody else real quick. But he, he just happened to be there and, you know, we were chatting while I ran the thing off. And it was funny, he didn't say anything for quite a long time. Except then finally said, can I hear that again? So he said, sure. So, you know, I punched the button, they recorded it, 15 minutes later I walked out. In 1983, THX was a brand new company, and they had never done any marketing. Today, most marketing campaigns go through a rigorous internal process. Ad agencies are brought in, different concepts are developed and pitched, focus group testing is commonplace, and many levels of management weigh in on the pros and cons of the advertising. The Deep Note had a much less formal process. The producer assigned to the job pretty much gave Andy free reign. Subsequently, I got a few questions about how it was done. But no, there was no, uh, I didn't pitch anything. But to tell you the truth, there wasn't really much quality control in the process. He literally gave me the task. And then four days later, I walked into the theater and mashed the button. And that's what came out. So maybe that's good. If anyone had heard it, they might not have gone for it. I remember Tom Holman uh, quipping that part of the sound system that he was really the proudest of were the tinkly, crisp highs. But that's okay, this'll do. <laughs> the reactions from Gary Rydstrom, Ben Burt, and Tom Holman were positive. But the deep note had not yet been played for the big man, the head honcho, George Lucas himself. I wasn't there when the VIPs were brought in. 
But what I do know is that he started inviting people down to my studio. So I played it for a number of people. I played it right off the uh, synthesizer, just synthesized in real time right then and there, mostly for effect. Just show them what the capabilities of digital audio were. I played it for Ray Dillaby one time. I played it for, actually, I played it for Michael Jackson. Oh, Michael Jackson enjoyed it, but when I played the Star Wars theme, he enjoyed that better. So yeah, I played uh, the THX logo theme for a number of people. So I, I guess George uh, liked it because he was constantly bringing people down there to hear it. I don't think they expected what I ended up with there. They kept uh, bringing people, come here, come here, listen to this, listen to this. Creating a score within a computer program today can look a lot like a conventional music score. However, Andy had programmed the deep note to play back randomly each time, so every guest heard a completely new deep note. In the first couple of days, I put the cello tone in, and I wrote the program for uh, generating the score. And the, the score was generated from a random number, since I didn't really care where the notes went in that cluster as long as they were within a certain range. So. I just wrote a program that went around all the instruments once a second and gave each one a new pitch. Each oscillator or each cello would receive a new pitch. It would slowly start winding towards the new pitch. That's what gives it the feeling of voices going up and going down. Once a second, each voice gets a new pitch. Then I assigned them the final pitches, which was the final chord. Now that one I did compose of the 30 voices. I said, you know, we'll do three voices on this tone and two voices on that tone and one voice on that tone and so on. I gave them discrete pitches. One of the first OG, you know, or duh moments was when I'd collapsed all the oscillators to be exactly on the target pitch to three decimal places. Well, then it collapsed into an electronic chord. It sounded not like an organ, but like an electric organ. So I had to detune them slightly. And that's what makes the final chord shimmer too, because they're still getting new pitches Every second, they're just within a very tight range, going up and down within a maybe 100 cents or so on each pitch. What makes the deep note even more complex has to do with something called temperament. Most instruments today are tuned in what's known as equal temperament. The most basic way to think about it is this. We have 12 musical notes, and all of them are the same distance apart. For the deep note, Andy changed the tuning system so the ratios are actually perfect harmony using a system known as Pythagorean tuning. This hasn't been used routinely since the Middle Ages because it doesn't allow you to change keys. Like when barbershop quartets sing, How can there they typically sing in a kind of a floating just temperament. That's what makes those chords so sharp and so, so crisp. They don't use vibrato and they sing in these exact pitches. These are called Pythagorean relations. And it's these crisp relations that make the sound of that chord sort of bigger than you would expect. It's actually bigger than an organ chord, bigger than the Bach chord, because he's playing it on an organ that's in equal temperament. So the pitches can't fuse as tightly. So with Pythagorean tuning, in very simple terms, those same 12 notes might be tuned slightly differently depending on the key it's in. It's more of an absolute perfect tuning. The truth is, it's very subtle, and a lot of people can't hear the difference. However, when you stack up almost 10 octaves of notes, the effect becomes much more obvious. That's another way Andy was able to give the THX deep note such a big sound. 
I knew that that's what I wanted for the big chord because I knew what that was going to sound like and that that would be the formulation with the most impact. It would sound bigger than an organ chord or bigger than an orchestra chord. The computer program allowed Andy to create something he could never have done with a live orchestra. But there was also a problem. Since the program was random, there was no real way to recreate the sound over again. He had to record the output from the computer, and that would be the only record of it from that point forward. Even if he used the same program again, the output would sound just slightly different than before because it was coded to be random. It wasn't like a guitar lick that a human performer could replicate. It was a computer that was programmed to be different each and every time. He only had one recording of it. So when Andy submitted the original Deep Note track, that was it. There were no backups. George Lucas and the team loved the Deep Note, but then something horrible happened. They lost it. Andy Moore's masterpiece was gone. And he wasn't sure if he could get it back. So how does the story end? We'll find out in our next episode. To hear part two of the THX story, check out 20,000 Hertz wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you thought about this story in our Facebook group. Just search for Brought to You By Podcast. We can't wait to bring you all the new episodes that we're working on. But until then, you know how to reach us. You can call and leave a message at 646-768-4777 or shoot us an email, btyb at insider.com. This episode was written and produced by the team at 20,000 Hertz, Kevin Eds and Dallas Taylor, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Nick Spradlin. Brought to you by is a production of Insider Audio.